don't have to. You can sit there and go, I don't want to. Right? That's your right. Right? It's not much fun being a poo-poo person. You got anybody like being a poo-poo person? <laughs> you poo-poo know, on everything? What do you think about that? Right? That's not much fun. There's not a lot of joy in it. Right? Did Christ have to die so we could pull on everything? Like, he just, didn't, he just didn't need to die for that, because that's, that's the way things would have gone. Right? Without the Lord, they go right down into the turtle. With the Lord, we'll pull back on the, pull back on the stick, change the descent to an ascent, and come on up and see the glory that God created for all of us to enjoy. Life at 30,000 feet is pretty beautiful. Right? Like, just looking out an airplane window or... 500 feet or 1,000 feet, whatever it is, just getting up there and looking down and seeing his creation from that big picture is so much different than being right here and looking at all the stuff in your room. And so maybe, maybe just maybe, God's thought and God's heart is that we're always living up here, right, and not fixated on all the problems. Because he is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, so that it must tell us that there's something else worth looking at. You see, and so today as we get into the book of James, it's really crazy that everything lines up. Like, it's not a coincidence that we're going to be doing the King's Table today down at California Park at 1 o'clock. Free food, free fun, free all kinds of stuff, okay? For free, from 1 to 4, California Park. And then we're talking about James in chapter 1 where he's getting it to be doers, not just hearers of the word. And it's like, ooh, that's unsettling to my spirit. But I'm like, I just want to come to church and get my thing done. What about the folks that don't even come to church? I hear a lot of people say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Okay, why? Does church make you a Christian? Can you be a Christian and not come to church? But should you have to tell? Should, should it be desperate for me to know that you're a Christian? Or should I just see the very things that you're doing in the world? Like, I should be able to look. When I go to the produce section at Festival, Walmart, Aldi's, guess what I see? Fruits and vegetables. Produce. It's not hard for me to tell. If there are empty shelves, I would have to ask somebody, is this the produce department? Well, yes, it is, and quite normally we have produce in here. Well, without it, without seeing the fruit, then what is there? It's guesswork, and I gotta ask, excuse me, are you a Christian? Hmm. But it takes some work so that I can see the beauty of the fruit and the vegetables, and all these things lined up. You know, I was in a store, I can't remember where I was at, I was on, on one of my adventures throughout the United States, and I saw this produce section, and this guy, you know, like, produce section, it's like, it's just fruits and vegetables, right? You can just do it. Nobody cares if everything's just stacked, radishes with radishes, peppers with peppers, and so on down the line, and they're just stacked, right? Everywhere you go, they're just stacked. You're like, whoop, here's a strip of that, a strip of that, they all just, whoop, 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 whoop. No real order that we can tell, there's nothing like that. But this particular person, this produce manager, holy Christmas all Friday, like this dude or do that, absolutely loved their job. Absolutely loved their job. They had it all spread out. So, so white onions, 
around radishes. So a big old thing of radishes, big old clump of radishes, and white onions wrapped in a circle around that, and, and other colorful fruits outside of that. It was just this monstrous circle, and it, and it covered the entire produce section. Like you just, I actually took a picture of a produce section at the grocery store. I'm either sick in my head, or that thing was just remarkable. It just struck me as being different. And somebody takes pride in what they're doing. And so each and every one of us, as we walk out into the world, should people not be able to see the fruit of God's work, of Christ on the cross? Should we not be able to see that? Should I not be able to see the joy? I'm not saying we don't have bad days, but, but what's your usual, what's your usual countenance? How do you typically, how do you typically present yourself to the world? Can people see the joy or do they have to ask? Because honestly, when you're filled with Christ, why would anybody have to ask you? Yes, we all have bad days, but what's your primary What's your primary character? Is it one of joy or is it not? Where are you in these things? And what, what causes you to be the way you are? So today we're going to study James, and, and some people might get ruffled feathers. And I'm sorry about that. I really am. We're going into this thing, and I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm going to call some stuff out, because remember, we're no longer preaching the coward's gospel. Right? We are preaching the gospel. And Jesus was not a coward. He was not a chicken. He stood by what he stood for up to the point of taking the cross. And we won't take a little bit of harassment for being a follower of this. That's right. So something in there is going awry, I would say, in us. And so as we get here, as we start studying this thing, pull out, check yourself, see where your emotions are versus where you are spiritually. See if you're allowing your emotions to lead you and guide you, or are you allowing the Spirit of God to receive the truth that is empowering? And you're going to see, you're going to see the benefits of allowing the Spirit to guide you versus allowing your flesh in this world to guide you. You guys ready? I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Ready? Lower the lights. Let's get started. All right, so Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are, you love us so ridiculously that you would write this crazy, wonderful book, and in this book you would put words. And in these words you would put your spirit. In your spirit you would put tools for us to grasp onto, that you freely give to us, that we can learn, that we can grow, that we, Father God, if we surrender ourselves to you, might be vessels of your love and your grace, might be the very manifestation of that. Lord, we love you and we thank you. All right, so James, sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament, the book of James practically and faithfully reminds Christians how to live. Anybody else say, well, who are you to tell me how to live? Anybody ever get mad at the pastor when they actually do say something that rattles your cage? I'm like, you ain't telling me, right? And he just ruffles your feathers and says, nope, you ain't doing it. What does this say? This is into the very intro of James, and each week we've been, we've been having just kind of like a little, 
a little prelude, a little introduction to the book of James. And, and so when you're reading this, it's sometimes nice to understand the context. Because if Christ came to show us how to live, and we're not living like that, then are we living the life that Christ died for? And we need to keep these things in our memory. Just like we sing the doxology each week, we too need to remember that Christ died to show us. He lived to show us that he died to save us. His life was intentional, and so if we are not emulating that in some fashion, then what are we doing? And so this book, this book can ruffle your feathers. It can get, it can be all up in your crawl, get all up in your feels, because if you are anything like me, you're going to find out where you're failing. But how beautiful that we walk in grace, and as long as we're receiving the conviction of the Spirit, we can receive the conviction of our wrongs and repent and move towards God. And that's a beautiful thing. Where else in the world can you do that? Right? Like so many, the world tells us that you're this. And so the world tells you that you need to live and dwell in shame who you are. And God redefines that. And God's grace says, hey, yep, you screwed up again. I love you. It's okay. You're going to be fine. But you better figure out how to get back to me. Like, here I am. Take my hand. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Right? You ever just go get somebody from somewhere that shouldn't have you? That's, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, I'm in trouble. I need your help. And you, go, you go and help them? Yeah. Maybe I was the only one. But from perseverance to true faith to controlling one's tongue. Ooh. You mean to follow God and watch my mouth? Yep. Unless you can show me in the scriptures where Jesus was throwing around the same profanity that you and I throw around. Are you going to hell for an F word? How about the S word? The A word. What word are you going to hell for? You see, because we live in a fallen world, we struggle. <laughs> we struggle and fall short of the glory of God every single day. And knowing that and walking in that, but knowing that we walk in grace, that we are forgiven. But sometimes it helps. Like, I've been processing through some stuff over the last couple of years. And so how can I maintain a relationship with sin and a relationship with God. How can I say that I love you on one breath and the very next breath tell you how absolutely rotten you are? At some point in time, I need to figure out where I'm going. I need to understand the conviction of my heart and what God's calling me to. And I need to repent for the negative and the bad behaviors and walk over here in, in the good behaviors. Right? Like, I can't keep... I can't keep telling God that I hate him by sinning or I don't believe in him by sinning and doing the things that I'm doing and yet tell him I love him. At some point in time, I receive as much forgiveness as he's willing to give me and I say, you know what? If he loves me that much, then maybe I can change the very things that I'm doing that I know are upsetting him. Does that make sense? Like, how do you keep hurting somebody that you love? I know people that do it, but how is it that it's done? 
eventually there's so much forgiveness that I've given that how can I keep doing that? And so I, I look at the convictions of my heart and I ask God to help me and guide me and he graciously guides me to a different path that isn't hurting the very one that I love. Alright, so controlling one's tongue, submitting to God's will and having patience. This book aids readers in living authentically and wisely for Christ. That's an amen. <laughs> or, or is that the breaking news? Newsflash! Newsflash! What do you think? Alright, so James, we're on verse 19. So we'll start there. He says, Hearing and doing the word, we already know that we're in trouble. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How you doing? Huh. I'm still working on it. <laughs> there are some things that just fire me up almost instantly. And it's like, Lord, help me. Help me, because I don't want to do that. I do not want to be like that. And I don't know why. I don't know why I do it. It's just, it's just like, poof. And there it is. And so then I go through this whole thing, well, do I really know God? Do I really receive Christ as my Savior? You know, and I think that I'm less than, I'm not worthless because I failed again. I screwed up again. Remember what I was just saying? How can I keep saying that I love you and still keep hurting you? And when I got changed. But you know, there's that conviction in my heart that reminds me that I'm saved. Because without the conviction of Jesus Christ in my heart, I would think that what I was doing was just fine. And then I would take my anger as righteous, and I would proceed that way without correction. But the righteousness that Christ gave me when I received him as my Lord and Savior allows me to ask for forgiveness if I pop off at somebody. And hopefully they are receiving Christ, they've received Christ and they can forgive me, right? So, <laughs> let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And people always say, well, Jesus flipped the tables. Why can't I be? How many times did Jesus flip the table? And how many times have you been angry? You want to compare? Because let's do it. Like, let's really do it. Because you keep using the scripture out of context. Plus, you're out of times. Because you've done more than flip the table and cast those people who were robbing and stealing and cheating the Jews in God's house, you were robbing, stealing, and cheating them more times than they did, possibly. And definitely, you were you are screaming and flipping out more times than Jesus flipped the tables to get them out of his father's house. But because you're Christian, that makes it okay. When I heard the phrase righteous anger, I was like, yeah! Woo! Hallelujah! I get to be angry. I'm right, you're wrong, I'm just too bad for you. But this is great. It's, it's a whole act. I, I got this on lockdown, right? Because what have I ever been mad that you didn't deserve me to be mad at you? Right? You're stupid, I'm smart, but do the math, it's simple. 
It's an elementary, my dear Watson. <laughs> it should be easy. <clears throat> Wrong, friend. You see, Jesus displayed a righteous anger and a frustration because they were robbing and stealing and cheating from God's people in God's house. They were taking, you see it in the Proverbs, you see it all over, about right and correct measure and weighing things. So they weighed things. They didn't have nickels, dimes, and quarters. They had weights of things. And things needed to be weighed. So the proper weight for this is this, and this for that, and so on and so forth. And when all of a sudden you're changing weights and measures to get what you want, you are robbing from the very people. Right? And that's, that's not cool. Because people will also use that, those verses to say that you can't, uh, you can't have a garage sale on the church property. No, Jesus is going to flip the tables. No. No, no, he's not. An angry and hasty spirit is soon provoked to ill things by afflictions. And errors and ill opinions become prevalent through the workings of our own vile and vain affections. Remember, we live in a fallen world. What are you pursuing? And what was this? What was this chapter about? What's the book of James about? Teaching us how to live a good, proper life. Right? What does that mean? That means following God. That means walking with the Lord, not chasing after our own necessities or needs. Right? We just can't keep doing that. But the renewing grace of God and the word of the gospel teach us to subdue these things. To put things in the right perspective. To understand that though the world is calling you to chase bright and shiny things, it's like, well, slow down. Slow down, Tyler. Knock it off. You know better. Put it down. And watch God remove it as you put it up to him. Alright. When the words are from Proverbs 10, 19, 19 to 21, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. What do you think about that one? When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Any of you, any of you joke tellers? And you're laughing and you're joking with people, and then you get to that one joke too many. You said, Man, I should have stopped before I heard. Now I've heard another idea. Anybody else heard another one? Okay. What happens when you think you know more than you actually know, and you're speaking of things that you don't really know, but if you say it loud and fast and confident, then people will start to believe you, right? Like the first one that elevates wins. So when I talk authoritatively and I just speak like this is it, if I'm telling you something and I tell you it as a fact and it is not a fact and you don't know it, what are you doing? Or what am I doing? Is it truthful to tell somebody that you don't know and act like you know it? Is that what God would have you to do? Do you need to be an authority on all things, or can you just zip it and say, I don't know? But somehow this pride thing kicks in, and all of a sudden I'm talking about stuff I don't have a clue about. Maybe I watched a four-minute documentary in passing on the Discovery Channel, and now I'm the world's utmost authority on it. They laughed if I told 
James 1, 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Filthiness is a raparia, a raparia, moral uncleanliness. So put away all moral impurity and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness with a humility that which God is trying to give you. So he's giving you a gift which is a pureness and a wholesomeness, a righteousness, and you need to receive it. How many times are you willing to receive knowledge or wisdom from somebody? They are the world's utmost authority on something, and you won't listen because you think you know better. And now all of a sudden you have to argue. Anybody? Anybody do that? I know a lot of people like that. Well, don't tell me how to do that. I know. Right? Uh, anybody who's ever been a kid, you did. Anybody in here been a kid? You did it to your parents when you were coming up. I guarantee you that. That's why they made the saying that says, the older I get, the smarter my parents were. But you start to realize exactly how stupid you were when you were a kid. You were exploring, but you talked like it. Now that I'm a parent, I get to see it. I get to see kids tell me stuff and say, I'm sorry, you're wrong. We all do it. It seems to be life. But receive what God has given you with the humility that says, God, you know best. You know what's best for me. You love me perfectly and wonderfully. Amen? But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's from Luke 11, 28. This is, this is Jesus speaking. Blessed are those, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So as you're receiving what God is speaking to you, keep that and give up what the world has taught you. Right? Like the world is leading you to a, a certain death. And Christ is leading you to a certain life. But the world is always trying to tell you, hey, come and play in this pool. This is the best pool to be in. When, when the pool and the circle of life are over here, there's more blessing. There's more blessing with God than there is here. This one is just while we're on the earth. This one is eternal. Right? And so we oftentimes trade eternal for the right here and now. We spoke last night about pains and things happening in this world and how hard it is. And we put our focus on that instead of focus on God. God is the healer and perfecter and author of our faith. Satan wants to rob, steal, cheat, and destroy. Which one do you want? Where do you want to be? I mean, the choice is really that simple, but yet it's that hard. 
called torn for a reason, because we're not, we're not going to lie about this thing. We're not going to lie to one another and try and play all Christian. I don't care how well you speak Christianese. I don't give a rip or a stinky do. What I care about is what you do. What is the fruit manifesting in your life? What do we see? Because you don't have to. I was over at the office this morning. Church member certificate pad. And in here, we put the name, your address, and the date. And the pastor, the pastor certifies that you're a member of this church. So let me ask you this question. Is it more important in you, in your heart, to be a member of the church or the Lamb's Book of Life? Lamb's Book of Life. Brother, there is a choice to be made here. And this is a continuous choice that we need to live. We either need to live like we're members of a church or live like we're members of the family of God. And I wish the two were synonymous, but one of these can be an excuse for acting the way that we want to act and half-hearted, half-heartedly following Jesus. Like, I follow Jesus every Sunday morning. Yeah, preacher, you better not go long. Don't even call me to do nothing else. I don't want to hear about it. You got my five bucks in the box, and you got my butt in the seat for 45 minutes. We're done. I'm good. But what happens when God is calling you to something? What happens when the Lord is calling you to something and it doesn't drive you but you? I don't remember. I did my thing. I did my thing. I'm good. Where, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? James 1, 22 to 24. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, because we can deceive ourselves and, and think that church is about sitting here. And this is a small, small, small part of it. How many hours in a week? 168. How many hours in church a week? One. One and a half. How's math working out? You better have a much better pastor than I am if that's going to be all you get. Because, uh, yeah, like, I'm not so sure. But some people really can be deceived and think that doing this is it. And we can ignore that, that still small voice inside of our hearts calling us to be members of Christ, to walk in righteousness, to walk in service to our neighbors, to love our enemies. Oh, yeah. Who's praying for your enemies? And I'm not talking about praying that they would die. <laughs> right? But praying that they might live, that they might have a change of heart, like actually honoring God before you honor your own emotions. Don't get lost in your emotions, but get found. Be found and renewed in Christ Jesus. Don't be deceived, is what James is saying. So don't just listen to Sunday mornings, but actually listen to what God is telling you and actually manifest, produce some fruit. Produce some fruit in your life. And that's not just you doing good works, that's you doing God's work. Because you can do good works and not know God. But you can do God's work and not know God. Amen? 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Remember what I said in the beginning, Christians leap, right? So how many of you guys remember what the sermon was about by Wednesday? There's a statistic that says we forget about 80% of the message by Wednesday. And it just keeps getting worse and worse by the end of the week. So come next Sunday and I say, what do we speak on? And don't just tell me, James. Oh, you've been freaking preaching on James. Well, that's great, but what did I say? Well, you know, James stuff. Right? The sad part is, there are times when I've preached, and I, I, I speak extemporaneously, as in I write down the words that God gives me from the scriptures, but everything else is what Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And I have to go back and I have to listen because I don't even know everything that I said. Right? It's, it's, it's possible. It's the weirdest thing in the world, but, but it is. You know, I, I've talked about I've talked about preaching, and I've, I've had this vision in my head about silicone down the sides here, and then water filling up, like, but there was silicone and stuff, because I don't even know what that was about. But I'm preaching, words are coming out of my head, and I know that God is speaking through me, and my head is going somewhere else. But recognizing that I'm simply a mouthpiece for the Lord is pretty important to me. My spiritual walk is a work in progress. I'm not perfect. So I can't expect all of us to remember everything we leak. And so we need to understand what James is talking about. Like sometimes the doing, what God is calling us to do, the actual walking it out, helps us to remember the glory of God. But when we don't do anything else and we focus on the world the rest of the time, it's really easy to forget it. What you focus on, you see. What you focus on, you do. When you set goals as a priority in your life, they become a reality one day. Right? If you stay focused on your goals, that's how you accomplish and achieve them. So what do you want to do as a Christian? Do you just want to sit in church on Sunday? Or do you want to actually start walking out as Christ walked out? Is that something that stirs in your heart? Because if it doesn't stir in your heart, you might be in serious trouble. We're talking about an eternal choice here. If God means nothing from Sunday at 11.30 until Sunday at 10, you are in deep, deep trouble. There is a great chance you will get to the gate and he will say, I do not know you. And guess where you're dancing from there? You will be dancing in hell. For an eternity. You need to know. You need to know. I've had pastors tell me after 30 plus years of ministry that they don't know if they're saved or not. That breaks my heart. They do the job of pastoring just to do the job of pastoring. It's a vocation and not a life and a relationship. How is your relationship with God and how does that manifest throughout everything that you're doing? James can say that people who only hear the word are deceiving themselves. They think that they have a relationship with God because they regularly attend church, go to Bible studies, or read the Bible. But if they're listening, it's not accompanied by obedience, 
Their true situation before God is far different. Obedience, says Calvin, is the mother of true knowledge of God. Typical of his concern that believers demonstrate the reality of faith and obedient lives, James goes on to specify what it means to accept the word. Essentially, James argues in verses 22 to 25, to accept the words, the word means to do it, to do. James insists listening to God's word must lead to doing it. Only then are we truly accepting the word. Who's the word? Jesus Christ, remember, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was Jesus. Doing is actually receiving. Now remember I said you can do good works and not know God, right? There's a lot of people who think they're going to heaven because they're good people. I don't care, and it struggles. It's, it's hard to accept that some amazing and wonderful people will bask in hell. Because somewhere in their life, they got into their heads and in their hearts that this God thing wasn't worthy of receiving. But they're great and wonderful people. There's only one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. Period. It's not a question mark. That's a period or an explanation point. And that saddens me. But the gospel that, I, that I'm conveying to people in my walk, in my works, is not one that is anything that would compel people or help them to even want to know Jesus any farther so they think that their belief system is right and they're good. But if I'm manifesting the very fruit that Christ bore me to, to carry, to, to manifest, then won't people see that when the church starts being what the church is supposed to be, won't that be something that attracts people to the truth, to the glory of God, right? We need to start... We need to start doing some things a little bit differently. James 1.25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty or freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Your acts of sitting on church on Sunday morning ain't nothing. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What's coming into your heart? Where are you going? And I want to close this up. If I get the worship team up front, um, I'll just I'll run through this really quickly. It says three key points, and this is found in our last verse. It's bridles the tongue. It's number one, speak life and not death, speak hope and not hopelessness, speak of God and his wisdom and joy. Have mercy on those who need it, those who are oppressed or unable to help themselves, widows and orphans. Third one is remain undefiled from the world. Do not allow the world and her antics alter who Christ made you to be. Remain faithful and fruitful. Amen? But Father God, we thank you, we love you. Lord, we surrender, we submit to you. Might you just change the way that we do things, Lord God, that we would truly be your church, we would truly be your sons and daughters, that we would walk with your love always in everything we do. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
before before we depart. And I think it's really important. What I have so proud of each and every one of you in so many, many ways. Like, I look out here, and we preach through some pretty hard things, and we don't hold back any punches. And nobody's getting up to leave. And that tells me that if you check your spirit, there's a hunger. There's a hunger inside of you for the truth. And it's that hunger, and it's that truth, when they work together inside of you, that God is doing something in you. God is doing something in you. And I am so proud of you, and I am so thankful. I just want to say I love you guys, and I hope to see you down at the park today from 1 to 4. Uh, it's going to be a blast. If you can make it, make it. Come on and stop in for a rock. If nothing else, come in, okay? I love you. May you be blessed and honored to love and serve the Lord. Amen.